Time. This is Jamie Frankenberry, sports editor at the Virginian Pilot and Daily Press. And of course, I'm joined by David Teal, columnist for both papers. How are you, sir? Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We got a lot to talk about this week. This is going to be a packed podcast, to say the least. We'll try to cover all that we can. We're going to talk Virginia, Virginia Tech football and quite a matchup last weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about ODU's depar- uh, Bobby Wilder's departure from ODU sure. and who might be heading to Norfolk. Yeah. Uh, talk about some bowl possibilities, maybe clear up the bowl picture a little bit. And then before we go, get into some really interesting hoops matchups for both Virginia and Virginia Tech. But let's start with, uh, you know, back in Charlottesville last weekend at a game you saw. Now, they have played 101 times, but this one was one of the more memorable matchups, Virginia and Virginia Tech. Jamie, it, it absolutely was. There's, we could do a whole podcast on this game. There's so much to unpack. As, as folks know, Virginia snapped the, the, the 15-year losing streak. The Cavaliers winning 39-30. to Bryce Perkins overcoming the, the tonsillitis from, from earlier in the week, and we'll get into a, a, a little bit more about that because I talked to Virginia's lead football trainer the other day, and she, she took me down some pretty graphic paths mm-hmm. about what poor Bryce endured. But just big picture, you know, here Virginia not only breaks the streak, but wins its first ever Coastal Division title denies the Hokies their seventh coastal title because this was a winner-take-all game. Virginia's in the ACC championship game for the first time against unbeaten and Goliath Clemson. The Cavaliers look, I'd say, probable for the Orange Bowl, which would be only their second major bowl bid uh, in, in history. And just the way it all unfolded, because here comes Virginia Tech last Black Friday. The Hokies have shut out their previous two opponents, Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh, haven't allowed a point in 32 consecutive possessions. I mean, they are rolling defensively. And what happens? Virginia comes out and bam, takes the opening kickoff and three plays in, it's third and 14. And here's a very underlooked play, Bryce Perkins pulls the ball on third and 14 and kind of weaves for 19 yards and a first down. If that play doesn't happen, you know, does it end up snowballing like it did? But they go down the field. He ends up scoring on a 39-yard run. But here's just a few numbers. Virginia scored 39 points. Virginia Tech had allowed 38 in its previous four games combined. Bryce Perkins himself, buck 64 rush, 311 passing, 475 yards. That's more yards than Virginia Tech had yielded in its previous two games Mm -hmm. combined. I mean, what he did was just 475 of Virginia's 492 yards are on Bryce Perkins. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he threw it or passed it on 52 of Virginia's 58 (laughs) plays. I mean, can you be more valuable to your team than he is? 
Right. Talk about uh, putting a team on his back. That's exactly what he did. He had those touchdown runs of 39, 67 yards. Both in the first quarter. In the first quarter, which were really big, got the crowd into it, got some momentum for Virginia because the last thing you wanted to do was go three and out or struggle against a defense that already has a lot of momentum. And I think going into the game, I know you expected Virginia Tech to win. You predicted them to win. I thought they were going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was based on the way they played defense the last couple of weeks. And we thought, well, you know, Bryce Perkins is going to have to play a great game. And that's exactly what he did. Yep, I mean, he, he, he sure did. And he, he got some help from his wideouts, particularly Joe Reed and Hasis Dubois. Big catches, yeah. I mean, Dubois is so tough and so good. He, he made honorable mention all ACC. I voted him uh, third team, and, and Perkins made second team as, as well he should have. And he actually got some some votes for ACC Player of the Year. I, I did not vote for him. I voted for the Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who didn't win Travis Etienne, the, the Clemson running back, mm-hmm. did. But then... You know, as quick a start as Virginia gets off to, the Hokies countered strongly in the second half, especially in the third quarter. Hendon Hooker gets it going. Virginia, as as it has been wont to do of late, starts yielding chunk plays, especially in the passing game. And let's not lose sight of the fact that three times, not once, not twice, but three times, Virginia had to come from behind in the second half against the Hokies, and, and they did it, a, a huge play. I mean, Noah Taylor had the interception of Hooker that set up the drive that produced the go-ahead field goal from Brian Delaney. And, you know, you talk about clutch. It's 30-30. to 30. There's a minute 23 to go. Delaney's already missed an extra point, mm-hmm. which is why Virginia's not leading in the first place. But he, he nails it from, from 48 yards. And then Virginia Tech's in pass-only mode, and the Cavaliers just pin their ears back. Sack, sack, strip sack in the end zone. Eli Handback pounces on it uh, for a a late touchdown, and they win 39-30. Yeah, what I found interesting in that second half is that, you know, Virginia Tech – would drive down the field, get a score, and you kind of got the sense, okay, this is Virginia's luck has run out. They're they're not going to be be able to answer this, but each time they did, and that uh, you know, lost in that whole thing. You mentioned Brian Delaney. You know, he missed that field goal early, and the even at that point. or the extra point, yeah. Even at that point, a lot of us thought, oh boy, that's going to come back to haunt Virginia. Yeah, and Bronco said so after the yeah, game. Yeah. He said, I really thought. It might come back to haunt us. And uh, our colleague uh, David Hall is going to write about Brian Delaney. That'll be in online uh, Wednesday today as we record oh, this, cool. and in Thursday's paper uh, about Delaney. And um, you know, when he missed that uh, f- early extra point, one of his teammates told him, "Hey, this is not how this is going to end. You're going to get another chance." Yep. And sure enough, with 123 remaining. And, you know, 48-yard field goal is no easy kick. No. Especially in that atmosphere, that soft ground and the cold weather, uh, and he nails it. It was kind of a tale of two halves. It kind of felt like, you know, where did the, these offenses go in the yeah, first half? It was 13-6 to six in, in, in the first half, and, and then it became kind of a track meet there for much of the second half. And I, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, where I think you look – and wonder what if is twice in the first half, Virginia Tech had first and goal inside the 10. Once first and goal at the six, 
The other time, first and goal with the seven. The first time, Nick Grant, the Virginia cornerback, stops Trey Turner on a third and goal jet sweep about two yards shy of the goal line. Justin Fuente, he decides to kick a field goal. I didn't have much trouble with that, although some people thought he should have gone for it. And then on the next time they had first and goal, Turner scores on the jet sweep. But Damon Hazelton had flinched, and they caught him for illegal motion and brought the, brought the touchdown back. And again, they had to settle for a chip shot field goal. That's six points instead of 14. That's real big. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard thing to overcome um, in a big game like that in a big atmosphere. Now, you uh, wrote this week about Bryce Perkins and a bacterial infection he had. And just reading about it, it makes me queasy, but it must have been really hard to go through. Uh, it was He started to feel bad, I think, before the Liberty game yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yep, the, the, the week of the Liberty game, he wakes up and just has a really bad sore throat. And the trainers check him out. And his tonsils are swollen, but there, there's, he's not running a fever. They don't notice any kind of infection. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be okay. And, but he gets up Saturday morning of the Liberty game, and everything has changed. And they look at him, and th- they notice, okay, this is a big deal. We can see the infection. What are we going to do? Can he breathe all right? Can he swallow? And he, he, he passed those tests, but he's taking hot tea on the sideline. The medical staff has given him fluids. The nutrition director has given him smoothies and things to, to, to keep his strength up because he can't really eat. And it was dicey. And, and during Perkins was telling me that during the pregame walkthrough, like they do in the hotel, he couldn't even talk. So Lindell Stone, the third-team quarterback, is calling out the signals during the walkthrough. Perkins is just kind of clapping his hands like they do at, at the line of scrimmage. And then in the second half, he starts to really feel poorly. So he, he, he gives Oluwatini, his, his center, a spare play sheet. You know, to, to strap onto his wrist in case he has to call the plays in in the huddle. So finally, after the game, they take him to the hospital. They're, they're unable to drain the infection. They take him back Monday. And this is where it, it gets dicey. I mean, they didn't want to put him under because, I mean, th- this infection, by the way, it's near the tonsils. But it's also near a sinus, and it's near the carotid artery. We're talking about a very sensitive Mm -hmm. area. And putting him under would have risked not having him available for Virginia Tech, maybe even beyond. And so wide awake, he's just sitting there, and they have to put a needle down his throat and give him not one, not two, but like three shots of numbing medicine in his throat and then they can go in with a syringe and suck out the pus. Yeah, I mean, that sounds brutal. It, it does sound brutal, but Kelly Pugh, Virginia's associate AD for sports medicine, she told me after that he really turned the corner quickly. And by 
Black Friday kick noon kickoff against uh, Virginia Tech. He was good to go and clear. I mean, he was efficient. Mm-hmm. I think is a decent word against Liberty. He was right. spectacular against the Hokies. Yeah, he was twenty for thirty three, three hundred and eleven yards. We mentioned you know one hundred and sixty four yards rushing. And, um, you know, they've played 101 times. You have not been to all of them, I no, don't think. No, But you were, I remember you were down on the field and tweeted a video. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell me about that, those last few minutes as the time ticked off, because I think you were on the Virginia sideline I, pretty I, close. I, I, was, I was. I was on the Virginia sideline. I wanted to be down on the field. And, you know, as folks know, if you look out to that one end zone, I'm going to be directionally challenged. I'm not sure which end zone it is. But it's a hill, and that's where most of the students congregate during the game. And just to see this mass of humanity <laughs> streaming down the hill to, to empty uh, or, or to come onto the field was really cool. And, it, and as Bronco Mendenhall was talking about afterward, he said, you know, two years ago they stormed the field here just when we got to six wins in bowl eligibility <laughs> and we beat George Tech. He said, now think about it, how, how higher the standard is to, to get them to storm mm. the field. We, had, we needed to win the Coastal Division. And, and one post-game site that I was just able to see just because I was down there and ended up writing a little bit about in, in the column was I see Garrett Tujay, who is Virginia's offensive line coach. And I see this guy who looks familiar, but I can't think of who it is. And this guy is embracing 2J, not a player. And he's saying, Coach, thank you, thank you. You've made us champions. You've made us champions. And they're both crying. And I'm like, who is that? So I, I went up to Coach and said, who is that young man? He says, that's Jackson Mateo, who used to be an offensive lineman mm-hmm. in Virginia and was a captain Broncos' first season right. in 2016. And so I went and found Mateo, and I just said, you know, what was that like? You know, why these emotions? And he just talked about the hope that Bronco Mendenhall had instilled from the very beginning and how everybody believed and that this was the culmination of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really an emotional scene for, for Mendenhall and for, for Perkins, who really redeemed himself. He had to live with that fumble in the game last year that really cost them against Virginia Tech. In so overtime, he, last right. play of the game. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so we'll talk a little bit uh, more about Virginia and where they're going uh, coming up. But let's uh, go across the water a little bit and talk about Old Dominion and Bobby Wilder. Sure. Uh, Part ways after 11 seasons and nearly 13 years. Bobby Wilder resigns. You can, uh, uh, that's the official word. Yeah, he was was forced to do it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that was after 11 seasons, two FCF playoff appearances, their move up to FBS, CUSA, a Bahamas Bowl win, and a new stadium. Mm -hmm. But... We sort of saw the writing on the wall. It was unmistakable that yeah. Bobby had to go. Yeah. I mean, four losing seasons in the last five, three in a row, culminated by one and 11. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jamie, they're one of only three teams in the country, one of three FBS teams that didn't beat an FBS peer right. this right. season. The others being their, their conference rival, Texas El Paso, and the other 0-12 Akron. And they're in the bottom three in every offensive metric you you can imagine, including average points. 
and an 11-game losing streak and a stadium that seats upward of 20,000. And there weren't, you know, I was there Saturday for the, for the finale against Charlotte, maybe 4,000, maybe five. Top, yeah, tops. I mean, Old Dominion didn't even announce an attendance. Right. Yeah, you can survive when you're, you know, they beat no. Norfolk State in the opener, lost 11 straight, as competitive as they were early on against Tech and Virginia. Yeah. The bottom fell out, and yeah. they couldn't compete in Conference USA, which is, by the way, not the SEC. No. Um, and and Confer- Conference USA may be the second worst, if not the worst, FBS conference out there. Right, right. Yeah, and, and Wilder, you know, he was he was a positive guy. He he really, you know, talk about talked about turning this thing around and but it just the the hole just kept getting uh deeper and deeper as they went along. And fittingly, last play of the uh season was an interception. Yeah. Um and that ends Wilder's tenure. Um now so it'll be interesting to see who comes in and replaces Wilder. I know they've already started doing some video interviews according mm-hmm. to Ed Miller, our colleague. Yeah. And uh you know Wilder made about $660,000 give or take. Uh and they're going to have to pony up a little bit more for this next coach cuz that's think so. yeah. second uh lowest paid in the conference. Yeah. Um and it'll be interesting to see uh, who they get. Now, we talked, a, we uh, wrote a little bit this week about some possible uh, replacements. Shane Beamer, a really familiar name to a lot of yeah. Virginia Tech fans. He's assistant head coach at Oklahoma. Chris Beatty, who was a high school coach in Virginia Beach before moving on uh, to the college game. Now he's a receivers coach at, at Pittsburgh. Pitt. Yep. And uh, Zon Burden, who right now is a running backs coach at Tech. Brian Steinspring, who was another tech name. Mm-hmm. So there are some names. And Steinspring, that, who was on the staff right. th- this year. Right. Zon Burton, who was on Bobby's staff previous to to going to Virginia Tech. And Zon went to high school, I believe, at Salem. Salem, yeah, in, in Virginia Beach. In, in Virginia Beach. But you know, who knows where, where Wood, and he, he's got a search firm. I presume it's Collegiate Sports Associates, which is run by Todd Turner, a longtime mentor, to Wood, and that search firm also includes Drew Turner, Todd Turner's son, who used to work in development for Old Dominion Athletics. Mm. So I'm I'm almost certain that is the firm that they're using, although no one has on the record confirmed that. But you you, you look just around Conference USA, the two Florida schools hired former Power Five coaches, Mm -hmm. you know, Butch Davis and Lane Kiffin are down there at at Florida International and Florida Atlantic, respectively. Might might Old Dominion look better? Steve Adazio from Boston College is looking for a job. I'm sure Larry Fedora, the Mm -hmm. former North Carolina coach, would love to get back into the racket. You you just don't know where a a, a search might lead. And as often as fans will will speculate and, and we do in the media too and that's that's part of the fun of it i can't overstate it, it from from talking to ad's and and this is how i would want to do it were i searching for a, a, a an employee that connection that you make in the interview process to me that's paramount i mean you're going to be working with this person you know, as as a team, you know, hopefully for a long time, there's got to be that shared vision, and without that, 
you know, I don't, I don't think the resume may look great, but if you don't, if you don't have that connection, I don't think it works. So, and there's no way to handicap that. How will they interact with Wood Seelig and Bruce Stewart, the his his top lieutenant, and John Broderick, the president? Because because clearly, John has his hands in athletics, Absolutely. and he, he will he will probably have the the final say in this. Yeah, you wrote uh, in your column after uh, Wilder's resignation on Monday that you know ODU's coming off an eleven uh, one and eleven season. Things look really bleak, but it's not as if this thing can't be turned around and quickly because of some other examples in, the, in, in their own conference. Yeah, well, look at the team they just played, Charlotte. Right. You know, j- just a couple years ago, Charlotte went 1-11. and 11. And then they kept their head coach, but then went 5-7, and seven, then made a, a, a coaching change, went the FCS route and hired Will Healy from Austin P, who may be he's certainly one of the youngest FBS head coaches, it's in his mid-30s, and lo and behold, Charlotte is 7-5, and five, headed to the Bahamas Bowl, right. much like Old Dominion back in 2016. And then Western Kentucky, where Wood Seelig was the AD for 11 years before he came to Old Dominion, they hit the skids badly when they first elevated from FCS to FBS. But once they got the coaching component right, they took off. I believe this will be their sixth or seventh bowl in the, in the last eight years. And even though they've been used as a stepping stone mm-hmm. by coaches, Willie Taggart and Jeff Brom and Bobby Petrino all left Western Kentucky right. after having success. But the, the Hilltoppers have still uh, kept it going. And, you know, let's, in Bobby's defense, you know, hey, Hayden Wolf looks like a quarterback of the future, and he was unable to play this past Saturday because mm-hmm. of a – Bum shoulder. Most of this roster, sh- you know, is eligible to return. Whether right. it will, we don't know. The transfer portal makes it easier, and coaching changes tend to send, <laughs> send athletes looking right. uh, for, for options. Well, and that's one thing Wilder said all season was this is a young team. Mm-hmm. Next year it's going to be a, a team that can compete. So if some of those uh, guys stick around, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, I don't think they want to wait too long, though, for a replacement because you have signing day coming up in December in a couple of weeks. Yeah, December 18th. It's it's two weeks from, is it from today? Yeah, Mm -hmm. because today's the 4th, and and signing day is always on a Wednesday. So time certainly is of the essence. You and I were talking before we started to record. I think we're looking at next week. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll have an unveiling uh, over at Old Dominion. Yeah, yeah, I would expect that. Uh, and Ed Miller will be all over that. We'll see what happens. Well, let's move on now to uh, this week's game. Uh, you know, some really great football last weekend, along with Virginia and Virginia Tech. Uh, but we'll move on to the ACC championship game. Virginia and Clemson are going to hook up at 7.30 in Charlotte Saturday yep. night. Uh, Clemson coming off oh 16 gosh. all ACC selections, uh, third most in school history. Uh, oh, that first-team trio is pretty decent that they have on offense. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, uh, the running back, and then, oh, there's a receiver named T. Higgins who's pretty good too. Yeah, and, and, and Justin Ross, his running mate at receiver, right. is is really good as well. And, oh, let's not forget they have two first-team offensive linemen in, right. in, in, in John Simpson and, and Antrim. It's – Jamie, we've, we've talked about this several times during the course of the season – 
what Dabo Sweeney has built down there is truly remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've won 29 games in a row. No, excuse me, 27 games in a row. 15 and 0 last year, and and 12 and 0 thus far in in, in 2019. But the, the the dominance, seven straight wins of at least 30 points, going into the ACC championship game. No team, no team has gained. 300 yards mm. against Clemson this season. Remember, Bryce Perkins went for 472 <laughs> by himself right. against Virginia Tech the other day, and no teams cracked 300 against Clemson. No teams cracked 20 points against mm. Clemson. Virginia's averaging 39 points in the back half of the season. I mean, it, it's a – and, oh, by the way – Defense was supposed to be Clemson's Achilles heel this season because of all that talent mm-hmm. drain to the NFL. And I, we, we had a teleconference with Bronco Mendenhall and Dabo Sweeney Sunday night. And I asked Sweeney, did you, given all that departed on the defensive side, did you think these statistical benchmarks, I mean, they're, average, they're giving up 10 points a game. That's mm-hmm. preposterous. So did you think that this kind of defensive dominance was possible? Knowing that he, and of course he said yes, because coaches aren't in the business of putting a ceiling on their team. And he had a good line. He goes, people were all focusing on the wrong thing. Mm. They're all focusing on who left. They weren't focusing on who was still here. And that's a testament to their recruiting. Right. And that's a testament to Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, and his staff, and it's a testament to Dabo Sweeney and the, the culture that he has built there. And Bronco Mendenhall, in commenting about Clemson's defense, and let's let's remember, Mendenhall's a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. He said what impresses him about Clemson is it's not like they have their system and they're going to do it the same way week in and week out. He said they do it in different ways every week based on opponent. They adjust before the game. They adjust during the game. And it's clear he is really impressed with Venables. Yeah, well, and I, I would expect that this is Clemson's a team who's going to make somebody else beat you besides uh, Bryce Perkins. Uh, they're going to know his number and know where he is. And they're going to, um, you know, try to take him uh, away from the Cavaliers or try to limit the kind of things that he's been able to do in on the uh, ground and in the air. Yeah. And I think Simmons, you mentioned the linebacker Simmons earlier, I think he's going to have a big game this week. Yeah. Uh, the um, You know, Clemson is not a team I would expect to be, uh, you know, this to be a trap game. I mean, they're still going to be motivated. Oh, absolutely, um, because let's remember, the latest college football playoff rankings came out last night, and for the, I don't know, third, fourth, maybe even fifth consecutive week, Clemson's number three. Right. They don't have a lot of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. If, if, if Clemson loses to Virginia, is it plausible the Tigers could still make the playoff? Sure. But I think it would be doubtful, and Dabo Sweeney sure isn't playing that card. He goes, mm-hmm. oh, they, you know, they, they don't even want us in there because people <laughs> have been trashing the ACC during the year. And, hey, rightfully so, the ACC overall – is that this is the first time since 2012 that only two ACC teams, Clemson and Virginia, are the, are the two, won at least nine games during the regular season. Hmm. I mean, there's there's been 
nobody else, right. really. I mean, Virginia, Virginia Tech could have gotten there had it beaten UVA. But, but overall, it's without, you know, without debate, it's, it's a down year in the league. And given that, if Clemson were to lose on Saturday, uh, I think its playoff case would be flimsy at best. So, no, no I don't think there's any trap game here for the Tigers. They, they know what they have to do. And, there, you know, those teams behind um, uh, Clemson in the playoff race or uh, in the playoff rankings, they play this week and they can make a statement. So they win, Clemson loses. It's very uh, possible that Clemson uh, gets left out. Georgia, Utah, yeah. Oklahoma, some pretty good Baylor. Teams. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about some, some bowl games. And, yeah. you know, a lot of what Virginia does and who they play – kind of depends on this week and who gets into the playoff. I mean, I think we can all agree Ohio State, LSU are locks. Yeah, no matter uh, if win or lose in their respective championship games. Yeah, so then you got Clemson, Georgia, Utah, and Oklahoma all yeah. all play in some sort of uh, championship game this week. Yeah. Uh, UVA, though, I, the way it looks, it looks like more than likely they're going to go to the Orange Bowl no matter what happens. Yeah, he, here's, here's how it works out. I'll, I'll try to be as succinct as possible, though it can get confusing. Presuming Clemson wins and mm-hmm. goes to the playoff, since the Orange Bowl is not a playoff semifinal this season, the Orange Bowl takes the next highest-ranked ACC team. Not Notre Dame, ACC team. If Virginia remains in the top 25, they're number 23 in the rankings released last night. We're recording this Wednesday morning. If Virginia's still ranked, then it's an automatic Virginia to the Orange Bowl. No, oh, by the way, if Virginia wins the ACC championship, since it's not going to the playoff, it's sure. still going to the Orange Bowl. But if the Cavaliers were to lose and drop out of the CFP top 25, then the Orange Bowl has its choice of ACC teams, although it could not take a team that won two fewer games than Virginia. So it could only take an eight-win ACC team. So what would the what would the Orange Bowl do in, in that case? I still think they would take Virginia. Virginia would still be uh, higher ranked, you know, just in terms of people's minds. They beat Virginia Tech Head-to-head, Virginia Tech would be 8-4. and four. Virginia would be 9-4. and four. Would the Hokies sell more tickets? Maybe. Is Virginia Tech a bigger name? Yes. Have Bowles made those decisions before? Yes. I think, they'd, I think the Orange Bowl would get some pushback from the ACC on that. Now, here's where I think Virginia got fortunate, is having Louisville lose on Saturday to Kentucky and lose badly, mm-hmm. by the way. That was a bad one, yeah. Because if Louisville beats Kentucky, Louisville's sitting there 8-4 and four and would have been eligible for the Orange Bowl to take. And easy sell. Louisville beat Virginia beat head-to-head. Yep. So if the Orange Bowl had preferred Louisville over Virginia and Virginia hadn't been ranked, no problem. Come on down. But at 7-5, they can't take. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisville and had hometown Miami just close the deal and beaten Florida International and Duke yep. to finish eight and four, then the Hurricanes could have made a plausible case to to be in the Orange Bowl because they beat Virginia head up. Right. 
But no, the Hurricanes completely fell apart late, lost to both FIU and Duke, and they're sitting there at six and six, you know, just barely bowl eligible. So it's, again, I, I said I'd try to be succinct, but I, I really think that Virginia is, is, is going to the Orange Bowl and in reality deserves to, to, to be there. Might, might the Cavaliers get their hats handed to them Saturday night? Yep, but guess what? That's a long line of folks uh, right. who have had that happen to them against Clemson. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the voters do in the poll if Virginia uh, win, if Virginia loses to Clemson, especially if it's a, a bad loss and sort of where they rank them. Yeah. Um, I think you know that UVA is going to get a pretty pretty good opponent in the bowl game too. You're looking yeah. at a pretty strong SEC team. Maybe Florida could even be Georgia. I think Alabama has kind of fallen off the yeah. uh, out of the uh, New Year six. Based on last night's rankings, Jamie, here's what I can tell you. Let's say Georgia loses the SEC championship game to LSU. Georgia's not going to get in the playoff at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Georgia's going to be ranked ahead of Florida in the college football playoff rankings because they beat them head-to-head and they would each have two losses. Right. So Georgia would then go to the Sugar Bowl. That's the contract. Yep. Then the Orange Bowl gets the highest-ranked team available from either the SEC, the Big Ten, or Notre Dame. Well, the way the rankings played out last night is – Wisconsin is number eight, and Florida is number nine. If Wisconsin loses to Ohio State in in the uh, championship game, then Wisconsin is probably Wisconsin or Penn State, which is at number ten. That team's going to the Rose Bowl. The next available Big Ten team is probably not going to be ranked ahead of Florida, so Florida would be the team that goes to the Orange Bowl to play UVA. This is important to Virginia Tech because, and here's where it gets confusing, if the ACC's Orange Bowl opponent is from the Big Ten, then the ACC inherits the Big Ten's Citrus Bowl spot in Orlando. So let's say Georgia beats LSU. You have two SEC teams in the playoff. The next highest-ranked team is Florida. Florida goes to the Sugar Bowl, which would leave a Wisconsin or Penn State to play Virginia in the Orange Bowl. That would give the ACC that Citrus Bowl bid because Notre Dame's not in the New Year's Six. It's part of the ACC's bowl mix. The Citrus Bowl would leap all over Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. That would leave the Camping World Bowl also in Orlando, Orlando, which has the next choice of ACC teams. I don't think there's any question that the Camping World would take Virginia Tech at that point. If it's the other way, if Notre Dame's not available to the Citrus, if the Citrus has to take the Big Ten team, then Notre Dame goes to the Camping World. That drops the ace or that drops Virginia Tech into the pool for the ACC's tier one bowls, which are Pinstripe, Belk, Music City or Gator, and Sun. 
at that point, I think the most likely landing point for the Hokies is the Belk Bowl mm-hmm. in, Charlotte, in Charlotte, which will be the second time in uh, four years. Yeah, yeah. Virginia Tech, had, you know, it kind of depends how the dominoes fall. Yeah. Uh, what, where, and who Virginia Tech. I mean, I think you know they they could play anybody from an SEC team like Kentucky or even Mississippi State, mm-hmm. or they could be looking at Texas out of the Big uh, Twelve. Yes, in in the camping world. In Correct. Camp, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that would be pretty interesting. So the Hokies have a couple of weeks off, uh, and we'll see what Virginia does. I mean, you know, getting back to Virginia Clemson, I mean, what do you think Virginia can possibly do to stay in that game against Clemson? Well, as as we often talk about, when one team looks clearly superior to the other, it's up to the underdog to, A, control the football, keep Trevor Lawrence and those cats pinned mm-hmm. to the bench, and create extra possessions. How do you do that? Do that with turnovers, takeaways. Oh, by the way, since a really rough first half against Louisville back in September or early October, Trevor Lawrence has thrown 19 touchdown passes and no picks. (laughs) So good luck turning them over. Then... And I thought this might happen against Virginia Tech. It did not, and maybe just because they didn't need it. Bronco Mendenhall and his special teams coordinator, Ricky Brumfield, they may have some concoctions planned out of punt or field goal formation to extend possessions, turn a field goal into mm-hmm. a touchdown, something along those lines, a surprise onside kick. you got to take some chances. Yeah, you, you, you absolutely do, and... I mean, Virginia's a four-touchdown underdog mm-hmm. for for a good reason because Clemson is, is is that good. I mean, I think Virginia's pretty darn good, but they're not Clemson good. No, no, no. That uh, It'll be interesting. That's a Saturday night game. I know you'll be there. Uh, well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about ACC basketball. Some really, you know, for all the great uh, football talk and chat this week leading up to the ACC championship game, there's some pretty intriguing matchups yeah. uh, for both Virginia and Virginia Tech this week. Now, it's Wednesday. We're recording this, and uh, the Cavaliers are 7-0 and heading into a really, really intriguing matchup. Now that some players are gone from last right. year, but they're going to hook up with Purdue uh, in a basketball game tonight yep. in a rematch of an incredible game in the NCAA tournament yep. last season. Right, the Elite Eight, the regional final in Louisville, which was basically a Purdue home game because mm. it's it's not that far from the Boilermakers West Lafayette, Indiana campus. And so and that's what they're going to have. That's what the Cavaliers are going to be facing tonight, a, a road test against Purdue. Now, Purdue has lost three games this season, but Purdue has lost to Texas Marquette and Florida State. Mm-hmm. Those are three pretty good teams. I think the one Purdue player that Virginia fans will remember is Matt Harms, right. seven, seven foot three, three dude, yep. uh, over whom Mamadi Diakite made that amazing shot off the Kihei Clark assist yeah. uh, to force overtime. You know, you, you mentioned Virginia 7-0 and going into tonight's game. How many teams in college basketball history, especially during the shot clock era, have been 7-0 and but yet three times have scored in the 40s? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. It's, I mean the, the Cavaliers last game, they won 46-26. to Yeah, crazy. O- o- over Maine to, 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 to match the fewest points allowed by an ACT team 
in in the shot clock era. What the Cavaliers have to oh no, by the way, the Cavaliers are still without Braxton Key, right. who had wrist surgery. They've just got to start shooting the ball better. They're still yeah, they're shooting not, not shooting well at all. Twenty five percent from three. Casey Morsell, the freshman who was a terrific shooter uh, at his time at St. John's up mm-hmm. up in D.C., he's three for thirty Oof. beyond the arc. It, it, it's clearly in, in his mind, but that's got to that's got to improve for the Cavaliers, who then turn around on bowl selection Sunday. It's and again we were talking about this off the air. Virginia's going to learn its bowl fate and its opponent at about 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, which is just when fans are going to be filing into John Paul Jones Arena for a pretty darn large basketball game, oh, against North Carolina. Right, right. Yeah, that, uh, you know, talk about, you know, that, um, and they'll they'll play uh, some pretty good uh, players at North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, you know, some numbers, like this is the points allowed this season for Virginia. 34, 34, (laughs) 42, 55, 46, 45, and then 26. There are college football teams who would like to allow only 26 points in, in a game. It's they, they are. I mean, Jim Beheim said it after, after the Cavaliers beat him 48-34 in the opener. He said, they're going to be better defensively than they were last mm-hmm. year. And they were fifth nationally last year in defensive efficiency. Right. But th- they're just – now, are they going to be as good defensively without key? Probably not because he's so versatile and he's mm-hmm. such a good rebounder. And that limits teams to one shot. Right. He – I mean, he truly is a, a, a key player for them. But the, the, the progress that Diakite has made, he's their best three-point shooter. Yeah, he has really looked good. I mean, he you can tell he did some work in the offseason. Offensively, there were really no questions about him defensively. No, he could no. play defense. He was going to get after it. But offensively, I think he we thought at least he had some limitations last year. Yeah, we're, we're going to find out a lot about this defense, not only – against Purdue, but certainly against mm. Carolina because we everyone knows all Carolina wants to do is go. Run, run, run. And, and with Cole Anthony, I haven't seen him in person. Folks say he's as fast, you know, just straight line fast mm-hmm. with the ball as any point guard Carolina has had. Yeah, and, Cole Anthony has really, you know, kind of – uh, taking the ACC by storm this year. I mean, he really looks good. He's the son, of course, of a pretty good basketball player, Greg Anthony, yeah, uh, who played in the NBA for a long time. But, yeah, that's, I think, a really interesting matchup to see how Cole Anthony plays against that pack line defense of Virginia. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, Jamie, Cole Anthony's averaging 7.3 rebounds right. a, a game. And the Tar Heels, and they've been doing this since way back in, in, in Dean Smith's time, their average rebounding margin, they are plus 16. Wow. They are big, and they just punish mm. people on the glass. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how Diakite and Jay Huff match up, you know, without especially uh, – um, If Key's a no-go. If Key's not there, yeah, yes. that'll be interesting to see how they match up inside. And, you know, um, Cole Anthony, I think he's averaging 19, 20 points a game, he one is. of the top averages for a freshman in the country. And, oh, by the way, the Hokies have a pretty good freshman uh, as well under Coach Mike Young. That's Landers Nolly. And they are going to get a big game Friday night, 7 o'clock, 
against Duke over yeah. in Blacksburg. They, they, they absolutely are. Duke, who I think we can now say famously lost last week, first time in 19 mm. years right. and 150 non-conference home games. The Blue Devils fall to Stephen F. Austin in the, and, and I don't use this word lightly, in the damnedest finish right. you have ever seen. F- folks are familiar. They've, they, they've probably seen it, but the whole, the guys on his back and the outlet pass and the breakaway layup. Coast the to coast buzzer, layup. Just yeah. amazing. And what, oh, by the way, what an incredible story about that young man from Stephen F. Austin, mm-hmm. whose family's home was destroyed down in, in the Bahamas by, by a hurricane. Right. And he, that there was a GoFundMe page already up for him that maybe had like $11,000. And from the ensuing publicity from the, the Duke game, I think the last time I checked, it was over $150,000, which is going to go not not to him or anything like that. He has said, this is going to go to help rebuild my community. And I'm I'm sure that the school and the NCAA will help oversee this money. But what a a cool, heartwarming story. I'll I'll bet you, as much as Mike Krzyzewski hates to lose – if you stuck some sodium pentothal in him and said, was it worth losing so this could happen, he'd say, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's just really cool. And we, we mentioned Braxton Key being out for Virginia. Well, Duke is now without one of its top freshmen in Cassius Stanley, who has a, a, a lower or has a leg injury. I believe it's a hamstring, although I'm not 100% sure. But, hey, the Blue Devils turn around, and last night they go on the road in Dominated. the ACC Big yeah. Ten Challenge and, and basically lead coast to coast. Yeah, yeah, they were at, up by 20 State. for almost the entire second half. They really, you know, Michigan State, I think, pulled within 11 at one point, but they were just no match for uh, for Duke last night. Yeah, Vernon Carey. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Hokies, 6-2, and two, um, you know, they had... Who also beat Michigan State, right? I was just about to say they had that big win over the Spartans in Maui, uh, although then you uh, the next couple of days they lose to Dayton, which, by the way, Dayton looks like a really good team. Yes, they are, and they, they are nationally ranked and with very good reason. And then they lose to BYU. And, you know, we talked a little bit about Landers Nolly. He had 22 against Michigan State. He had 15 against Dayton, 22 against BYU. But the problem for the Hokies in those games was defensively. They just Dayton shot the lights out, 63%, something like that. And then BYU hung 90 on it, didn't they? (laughs) And BYU made 17 three-pointers and shot 54% from the floor. So Mike Young's got to figure out uh, that defense um, to see what, uh, what, what he can solve. But, you know, Duke is not the Duke from last year. Uh, you know, obviously Zion's gone. They still have Trey Jones. They've got some really, really good players on that team that can get up and down the floor. Yeah, Vernon Carey is, is the centerpiece of, mm-hmm. of, of the freshman class. But it, And he went for 26 and 11 in three blocks last night. But, Jamie, as good as he is, he's not transformative like Zion Williamson mm-hmm. was. And th- this team isn't as gifted as the as the Blue Devil team of last year that reached the elite, elite eight against oh by the way, Michigan State. But 
they're they're very good. Blacksburg has been Duke's little shop of horrors of late, including last season uh, when 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 they fell there. But since Cassius Stanley's injury, you know Joey Baker has has come off the bench for Duke and had back-to-back double-figure games. And you mentioned Virginia Tech's defensive issues. Where where Duke is really going to test the Hokies is on the interior. That's where Virginia Tech's going to have to man up. And guys like like P.J. Horn and, mm-hmm. and, and Nolly, though undersized, they're just going to have to do their best. I was, I was looking at, at, at Ken, Palm, Ken Pomeroy's site yesterday. No team in the country is more reliant on the three ball than Virginia Tech. So far this season, 47.7% of Virginia Tech's points have come wow. from beyond the arc. And that's Nolly, that's Ahima Lean, that's Hunter Couture, that's Jalen or Jalen Cohn, P.J. Horn. They're all shooting it well, and you know they made the 21, an ACC record, against Delaware State. Right. Yeah, well, you know, and at some point, you know, that those shooters are going to have a game where they're going to go cold and they're going to need to score other ways. Yes. And Duke's a team that is going to play defense and make you score in other ways, I yes. think. Yes, yeah, and, and, and that was – defense was, was Duke's downfall against Stephen F. Austin. I think the Lumberjacks, what a great nickname, yeah. had 65 points in the paint mm. against Duke. Wow. So I imagine – that the Blue Devils' ensuing practices <laughs> were, shall we say, spirited, yeah. especially on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. So Tech is at home against Duke, 7 o'clock Friday. Uh, then we're going to have the uh, the ACC championship game Saturday. And Virginia, Sunday at home against North Carolina, going to be a great weekend. I'll I know be you're going to all three. Yeah, yeah, it should be really interesting. And, uh, well, that does it. I think our time is about up. It yeah, was, we've uh, got a long time this yeah, week. Yeah, we did. We had a uh, lot to unpack. Today. Absolutely. And we will be back next week with another edition of Teal Time. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.